You're listening to DraftKings Network. Coming up on today's show, we talk Joe's appearance on LeBron's star-studded Amazon show, The Shop. Tyreek Hill living Hawks 5'10 and under wide receiver dream. We debate if the Detroit Lions won the Jared Goff trade. And draft the best NFL and worst NFL head coaches. All this and much more on a Hall of Fame return of The Tomahawk Show. Who are these guys? It's my theme music. Every good hero should have some. This is an institution of learning, ladies and gentlemen. If you can't control it, how can you teach? Discipline is not the enemy of enthusiasm. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the world-famous Tomahawk Show, presented by the good folks at Meadowlark Media and the DraftKings Network. As always, I am your humblest of all co-hosts, Andrew Hawkins, joined by none other than the man himself, Hall of Famer, 10-time Pro Bowler, and former teammate of mine, Mr. Joseph Hayden Thomas. Joe, what's up, brother? What's up, man? I think we're all living the dream right now. Still riding the high of the Browns' victory against all odds, David versus Goliath. And uh, it's great to be with you today, my friend. It's funny because your week is literally predicated on whether or not the Browns win. Like if you if they win, you have a good week. If they don't, you don't. And it's it's not my week. I'm I'm well beyond that. I'm kind of. I don't really want. I don't want to say I don't care either way because I do because I do get excited, but I don't let it take my week away and we are also joined by fat nat three t's speaking of having a bad week she is a fan of the 49ers fat how are you doing today you know i'm okay i've been better uh i will i will say that if there's only one team that i could choose to lose to it would be the browns okay so i was i'm still sad but like it's not gonna ruin my week it's just gonna ruin my monday yeah you did not expect that though did you as a 49 no, you, like you were not riding high. Close. You were being an elitist. I seen you on Twitter. I seen your comments. You <laughs> thought, this is 49ers are going to go undefeated. Now look at you. You, you lost to PJ Walker. Yeah, it was a heartbreaker. I mean, losing like on a missed 20 something yard kick, like that's just sad. Well, the, the whole week wasn't bad for everybody here because obviously <laughs> Joe's, Joe's having a great week because also I ran into Joe in LA. Uh, what Joe participated in was called the shop. Natalie, I know you're very familiar with The Shop. And for all our viewers, The Shop is a talk sports show hosted by none other uh, than the king himself, LeBron James, Maverick Carter, uh, Paul Rivera. And they bring in all kind of star-studded guests to come in and talk life, talk sports, talk pop culture. And they only go for the elite of the elite of guests. Now, they had a simulcast this week for Thursday Night Football. And in their lineup, let me read this, this lineup to you. We got Barry Sanders. One of the greatest, if not the greatest running back of all time. We got Lil Dicky, who is an actor and rapper. We got Will Ferrell. When you look up comedy in the dictionary, Will Ferrell's name pops up there. You got Kevin Hart. You got Kiki Palmer. And who else am I forgetting? Skylar Diggins. Skylar Diggins was, was there as well. So these are like creme de la creme names. And then the last guest is Joe Thomas. That's a big deal. So I got to run into Joe. I was on set. I saw Joe mingling with all the stars. Him and Will Ferrell are old buddies. Him and Kevin Hart talked about doing a podcast together. It was a bunch of sh- going on, Joe. How how did it feel to be a part of that kind of star-studded cast, man? Yeah, I was definitely punching above my weight class I hanging agree. out with those guys. I and uh, completely it is agree. good to be an Ohio boy <laughs> who grew up, uh, or excuse me, an Ohio boy who happened to be playing for the team that LeBron James cheered for. <laughs> Uh, as a kid, because LeBron has always been super nice to me from my rookie year when I was in Cleveland to when I retired and he gave me a big hug on the court. Um, and the, the times we've interacted uh, since then, he's always been really nice. So it was gracious of them to allow a peasant like myself to be able to hang out <laughs> with all those A-list celebrities. But the best part, Hawk, was honestly being surprised by you, seeing you on set and uh, being able to eat a few multiple chicken sandwiches, a we lot did. of pieces of pizza, we and did. then go gr- grab a few drinks after, which was some very much-needed Tama love that I, I've been missing in my life. I completely agree, man. What do you think the thought process is for LeBron when he makes his guest list and they say, hey, man, we need a white former football player great. And he <laughs> yes. bypasses J.J. Watt. He bypasses uh, Troy Aikman. He bypasses all these all these names that you typically see, and he says – I want Joe Thomas. Make sure he's he's on this set. What do you think his thought process is, Joe? 
He was thinking, I know that Joe's probably the only guy that is a, a former white offensive lineman that can eat <laughs> all of the food that they held on an amazing spread for us in the green room. And I was considering eating all of it. There was legitimately cases upon cases of crispy chicken sandwiches and piled high, almost as high as Kevin Hart, which is not that high, but for <laughs> pizza boxes, it's very tall. Uh, delicious pizza from LA, which LA has amazing food. I could eat any, any restaurant out there. I'd be super happy. So they brought me only for my eating prowess. Do you think people always uh, compare me to Kevin Hart? Can you confirm for the <laughs> audience how much taller than Kevin Hart I am? So it was funny because I was on in the first quarter and I came off after the first quarter and Kevin Hart came in somewhere in the second quarter. And so we were kind of like bumping into each other in like the waiting area. And I legitimately did not even notice that Kevin Hart was in there because he's so much smaller than the average human that was kind of mingling around. <laughs> I couldn't even see him. And for a moment, I thought Hawk had brought Austin there uh, to hang out <laughs> with him because Hawk, you're generous. Uh, I'll say five, seven, right? Yeah. Kevin five, Hart, eight. I think comes up mid chest on you. Like, Thank you. I, I don't want to make fun of people that are short because no, we you have some short rude. people on our podcast here, yeah. but as a tall Thank person who gets plenty, plenty of flack being tall, being asked to grab stuff off the top shelf of grocery stores. Yeah, sure. it's, I feel, uh, so I feel bad like for you, I'm Joe. allowed to poke fun of the man who's infinitely times more wealthy, funny, and uh, famous than I am because he definitely was significantly shorter than Hawk. So for all of you out yes. there, please don't make that mistake anymore. Thank you. Thank you. I'm like, I'm like Wimbenyama compared to Kevin Hart. Okay. I want everyone in the world to know that. So we're backstage and I brought a football to get an autograph. That was like the main, yeah, I was happy to see Joe, but I took a football to get autographed by Barry Sanders. So I had this ball net. I don't know if you, do you remember the ball I had net? Yes. Yes. You do. All right. Yeah. Good. You're running, you're running back ball, my running back ball. So I have this ball <laughs> that I got at an auction from Emmett Smith 10 years ago. It was signed by Walter Payton. So he had a Walter Payton ball at his charity auction. So I, I, Bought the ball at the charity auction. It was a write-off. And immediately got a signature from Emmett Smith. So now I had a ball with Walter Payton and Emmett Smith on it. So I just started collecting the top 11 rushers, 12 rushers. It was top 10 at first, but then Jim Brown fell out the top 10. So now it's top 12. And I started collecting all the top rushers in NFL history. And I have two signatures left. One was Barry Sanders. And the other is Adrian Peterson. So now that I have Barry Sanders, I have this ball, the only ball in the world with the top rushers in NFL history. And I'm trying to think, Joe, now that you are in the Hall of Fame, do you think you could connect me with somebody so I can try to sell it to them for thousands and thousands of dollars? Or do you uh, think absolutely. I should keep it? Because Barry Sanders offered you on the spot to buy he, that ball from you. He thought it was so cool. He didn't want to sign it initially because he's like, yo, yo actually, I just want to buy it from you. I, oh, my God. I told my <laughs> wife that. He wasn't joking. He was like. No, he wasn't joking. He, he was, was trying like, to guilt me into I, I it, too. It. He was like, oh, man, I, that's a great ball. I, I would I would love a ball like that. And he was being dead serious. And I'm like. So I'm would, you, to, would you sell it to him? I'd Probably not because I don't feel like. <laughs> You know, it was like right before he signed it. And I don't know if he was trying to say, like, I'll give you my signature if you put me into the running when you get rid of it. But he was genuinely trying to make me feel bad, kind of like pull at the heartstrings of like, mm -hmm. man, I sure would love a ball like that. Those that those I love those guys. And I was kind of laughing it off. But then I'm like, man, should I give this ball to Barry Sanders? And I quickly snapped <laughs> out of it. Like, absolutely yes, not. Thank goodness. No, yeah, he was looking for a deal. He was definitely pulling at your heartstrings. <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely looking for a deal. All right, let's get into some Tama headlines. Really quickly, let's stay in the podcast game, as which we've been in for a very long time. Not nearly as deep into the podcast game as this first topic. So it came out this week that Pat McAfee, who has Aaron Rodgers on his show weekly for a number of years now, pays Aaron Rodgers over $1 million a year to appear on the Pat McAfee show. They talk about a bunch of topics. It seems like it always comes back to vaccines, but whatever. Um, but do you think... That that is worth the price of admission, Joe, for Aaron Rodgers to be on the weekly podcast. If we had the opportunity to bring Aaron Rodgers on our podcast and we had the money and the backing for one million dollars, would it be smart for us to make that investment? I would absolutely bring Aaron Rodgers on our podcast for one million dollars per year of Andrew Hawkins's money because it absolutely is worth <sighs> it. Like, look what 
Aaron Rodgers has done to the popularity of the Pat McAfee show. And Pat is extremely talented. He was actually our first guest on the Tomahawk show yep. way back when. And even GV Art made a few shirts with the three of us hanging out in a, a cartoonish hot tub, yep. which is kind of funny. But um, <laughs> he's amazingly talented. He's super funny. He's great at what he does. He brings the energy every day. So he built this great platform. However, without relevant names that are currently in the game you can only go so far with what you're doing in the media world and so for him to have Aaron Rodgers on every week making headlines and Aaron Rodgers has been probably the biggest name in football for probably three or four years now he single-handedly has launched Pat McAfee into the stratosphere making tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars per year for that show and I think this is a great standard to be set and I'm really happy that it's come out now because for so long NFL players, pro athletes, entertainers that come on as guests on other podcasts, it was just assumed, you know, you're just kind of doing this as a good favor to a friend or whatever. But Pat McAfee even said it right away. He didn't try to defend himself in a bad way or try to uh, downplay it. He said, look, Aaron Rodgers has made me a lot of money and I'm going to share it with all my friends. If you come on my show and you help make me millions and millions, I'm going to share it with you. And I think that's a great standard to be set moving forward for all other athlete entertainers Man. that come on other people's podcasts wow joe is just like uh pay me a million dollars yeah I'll take a clearly <laughs> this is clearly a campaign for joe to get paid a million dollars first no, off I'm, joe, I'm a former. i don't have i'm it. just the so host now if you're expecting a million dollars from me you can close your laptop now buddy because i don't i don't <laughs> got it number one i agree i'm all for people getting paid what they're worth and i love how pat mcafee approaches it because he does feed his team handsomely every time he gets paid they get paid and you, you know what's better than that i just don't know as a someone to sit on the other side i don't know if it's worth it like i'm not like man it is so cool to have aaron Rodgers on there man he is so great on when he's on the show he's adding so much insight it's i literally don't think it does anything more for the show and that's just my opinion i i like aaron Rodgers, but he's not like he's not on there breaking any news he's not most times he's kind of just on his phone and I mean, it's an easy way for him to make a million dollars. Congratulations. I just don't know if it does anything more than just that fat net. Yeah, I was going to say, I agree. I think it's not worth a million. I, I think I get what you're saying. I know that he, when he first came on the show and he was, you know, blowing it up and stuff that was different. And that was maybe the first one, two times that he showed up on the show. But now it's like, there's nothing really crazy coming out of it because of Aaron Rodgers, besides him, like saying all this vaccine stuff and calling out Kelsey or whatever, <laughs> besides that, like, what was the latest, like, you know, I don't know, big deal moment that he brought to the show. I don't know if it's worth a million dollars a year. Yeah. Like, yes, I agree. Pay people to come on your podcast. I definitely am all for that, but I think this might be a little much. He's broken all of the interesting news that we talk about all offseason about Aaron Rodgers on his show. He talked about his ayahuasca retreat, his darkness retreat. He broke like the whole vaccine thing. Like now, granted, to your point, he's not playing right now. And so really, there's no news to break. And that's why I think he started the Kelsey fight a little bit. Right. Because he's trying to stay relevant <laughs> while he's on the sideline. Get his money's worth. Um, but like he basically gave us content all off season for a few years now with the controversial things that he was saying on his podcast. And it became must listen to must watch TV. All right. Well, I look, if, if I had a million dollars, Joe, I would absolutely give it to you because you're, you're more than worth it. But if fat Nat <laughs> wanted it, I'd give it to her first. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk about everything that happened in the NFL this week. And especially fat Nat's 49ers took a big fat L. Drop the base. All right, guys, let's get into some NFL headlines with a segment that we all love called Am I Trippin'? Nat, you read the topic, and then we'll take it from there. All right, first one. With 814 yards through six games, Tyreek Hill has the second most receiving yards in NFL history. Hawk, am I trippin', or should he be in the conversation with the Randy Mosses and Jerry Rices? You are not trippin' at all. Let me give him a standing ovation. I'm going to be out of frame. The beauty about <laughs> only being... Uh, five seven is you don't have to go up very high when I stand up out of my chair, but that is relevant to talking about Tyreek Hill because finally the under five nine kings are the top wide receivers. And when you think of Jerry Rice and Randy Moss, you get tricked into believing you got to be six three or you got no, you got to be lightning fast and lightning quick. Eight hundred and fourteen yards in six games is insane. Okay, my best season in the NFL was eight hundred and twenty four yards. Whole season. <laughs> he has 814 damn yards in six games. That is wild. 
He's on pace for 2,000 yards. And again, it really is going to change the game of football because the whole Miami staff or the whole Miami receiving core, they're all under 5'10". And the way that Mike McDaniel puts them in position because they are so fast, like how the NFL works is, yes, it's a copycat league, but there is an evolution to it. So back in like the late 90s, early 2000s, the prototypical size for a corner was 5'10". That was like it. You wanted a 5'10", 190-pound corner who ran a 4'4". Then all the receivers started being 6'4", 6'5". That became the prototype because now it's like, oh, how do we beat a 5'10", super athletic corner? You get size and you do jump balls. So then all the, all the receivers got really tall. Well, what happens with the corners? Then the corners go back to being 6'1", and it becomes Richard Sherman's and the Brandon Browners. And now the prototypical size for corners are 6'1 and 6'2". So how do you beat a 6'1", 6'2", corner with size? You send a short receiver at him with crazy balance, crazy quickness to outrun them and outquick them. And so now all the receivers are getting small again. So it is, it's crazy just to watch in like the evolution. If you wonder how these things will work, this is how it'll work. So now the DBs, you've heard it here first. The DBs will start getting shorter to be able to match up and run with the short receivers. And it'll just literally keep going back and forth, Joe. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing that you see with pass rushers and offensive tackles. Like mm -hmm. forever and ever, offensive tackles were like 6'6", 370 pounds. Like they were these massive humans. And granted, the ball got run a lot more back in those days. But then all of a sudden you started seeing the Robert Mathises, the Von Millers, mm -hmm. the Dwight Freenies, the short guys who are fast, who could just run around those guys. Because as a big man, it's hard to bend down like that, right? Yep. And then as soon as you started getting the smaller tackles, then what happens? Then all of a sudden, you get these massive defensive ends like the Miles Garretts, the Mario Williams, the 6'6", the 300, the 280. And it's always the dog chasing the tail in those situations when you're the person that's able to dictate what happens on the play. Like a receiver is dictating to the defensive back what's going to happen, right? Yep. Uh, a defensive end is going to dictate to the offensive tackle what's going to happen on that play because I can't move anywhere. I'm going to line up over there. The guy lines up across from me. I got to block him. And so you're always going to get this interesting evolution and this wave of guys are getting bigger and then guys are getting smaller to be able to adjust. So it's kind of fun to see where we are right now, where now you're starting to get those smaller, quicker receivers because they're realizing that speed kills in the NFL, especially when you're dealing with all these big oversized cornerbacks. I've waited my whole life for this. I've literally sat in my room as a child and I'm like, one day this is going to be the norm. This is going to be what people want. I'm going to be the most coveted. Flag football is, a, is an Olympic sport in 2028. I am so upset that I missed that window because if this would have happened in 2016, there is no doubt in my mind I would have been an Olympic gold champion and, and, and probably been on a Wheaties box because flag football <laughs> is perfectly built and, and engineered for someone my size, Joe. <laughs> Real quick story. Hard to argue with that. You said I'm a great Mario, flag football coach, so you, I'll, I'll coach you up. You then are we the, both be on the Wheaties box together. You are the Mike McDaniel of flag football coaching. <laughs> That's right. Um, Mario Williams is like 6'6", 290. He played for the Texans. There was one year um, we were playing against them, and I forget which coach it was, but the, the idea was that I was going to motion down and and take Mario Williams on the backside of the play. He got I, fired, by the way. <laughs> he got fired very quickly. I raised my hand. That's I'm like, wait a minute. Idea. So he's 6'7", 290 pounds, runs a 4'4", and – can bench press a Mack truck and you're going to send me there. The, the big idea was that I was going to motion down and block him. Genius. Yes. To your point, Joe, you were did. cannon fodder. They realized <laughs> that your career best was 800 yards catching. They're like, yeah, we can <laughs> expend this guy. He's, he's not that important we'll to our offense in the long run. Let's him. throw him in there to the cannons. <laughs> oh, that's messed up. Put me on the front line. All right, Nat, what's next? All right. So the Patriots lost again on Sunday, dropping them to one and five after another terrible performance. The loss does come on the heels of a report, though, that the Pats owner, Robert Kraft, would be open to firing Bill Belichick after the season, despite his status in New England. Joe, am I tripping or is Crafty shady for indirectly threatening to fire the greatest coach in NFL history? Mm, he's not at all. Uh. And it's if there's anybody to blame. And if I'm Bill Belichick and I get fired and I'm mad about it. He only has to point the finger to himself. And it's not because of the performances that he's had recently since Tom Brady left, which would get any coach in the NFL fired probably last year or the year before that. But it's because Crafty learned from Bill Belichick, right? What has Bill Belichick been the best at and better than any coach that I've ever been around? 
it's realizing when a player is not useful anymore and the time has passed him by. And right now, the time has passed Bill Belichick by and Crafty realizes that you better get rid of him before he stays around too long. And it already looks like he may have left him around too long because they've got one win right now. And I don't see any more obvious W's on their record. Bill Belichick, as a general manager, has done a poor job of evaluating talent. And as a coach, you can say that he's done a good job coaching him up or a bad job, but we don't know because he's got no talent on his roster, including the biggest mistake that he made, which was drafting Mac Jones in the middle of the first round and thinking because he'd done it once before that a stiff white quarterback that can't really run the football like Tom Brady is going to be able to learn to be this superhuman quarterback because he's in my system and I did it once and I can do it again. It's the fatal flaw, the foible of so many great people, not even in football, but throughout human history is because you did it once, you feel like you're the expert and you'll be able to do it as many times as you want. That ego always creeps in. And unfortunately with Mac Jones and Bill Belichick and the roster creation that he's made, he had that big ego about this is easy. I can do it again. I'll just toss Tom Brady to the side and I can easily replace him. And we're finding out pretty quickly that that's not exactly the case. And Robert Kraft learned from the best. That's you got to get rid of them before they hang around too long because they're not serviceable to you anymore. That's ridiculous. That is such a you're, I mean, I hope you don't have that mindset with friends, Joe, because that's stupid. OK, you don't think that Bill Belichick has earned the right to just suck for a couple years he can't, no, he can't he be bad like before you fire him like he should be able to suck for at least he was great sure. for what 20 years and yes tom brady was a part of that but you don't you can't just fire the best coach in nfl history even if he sure. is terrible even if he's too old even if he's past his prime you mm -hmm. just basically start to slowly strip away responsibilities until he decides to go off into the sunset and if that means three years of being shitty after literal complete dominance for uh you know 20 percent of a century then fine that's that's okay and then the other thing that i'll say joe and this is what you're not considering maybe before you strip him of his gm duties you just see it out because this might be his best gm job yet caleb williams is out there caleb williams is legit right so if you take mac jones out and you go win five games what the hell does that do for the franchise so if Mac Jones is as bad as he looks and as he's been looking, what is the smart thing to do? Keep him in there or take him out? And it's, I think that Bill Belichick at this stage is smart enough to say, we're going to keep him in, in there. And if we go 1-16, so be it. We'll end up with one of these top guys that we know can turn this franchise back around. And that will be the parting gift that I give to the New England Patriots. Here's Caleb Williams. Have a good life. I'm going to coach lacrosse. So I think it would be really good if – Bill Belichick did the anti-Bill Belichick thing and just stuck around a lot longer than he should because he's past <laughs> his prime because he allowed Tom Brady to do that, right? He did. Like, Tom Brady, by the way, was still pretty good when he booted him and kicked him to the curb. Like, he kicked Richard Seymour to the curb and traded him to the Oakland Raiders. Like, this is his M.O. Like, he looks and sees right before those guys are about to start tanking and he gets rid of them, right? Yep. So why would he think that he deserves the benefit of the doubt and is allowed to just have like three or four honeymoon seasons because, yeah, he was really great. I mean, he is the best coach of all time. Don't get me wrong. But why would <laughs> all of a sudden the things that didn't work for his players be something that he would think would work for himself and that Robert Kraft would be okay with it working for himself? And by the way, they're going to have to outsuck the Panthers if they want Caleb Williams, which yeah. is not exactly a guarantee, even with Mac Jones. However, if he does what he did last year and just uh, takes his defensive coordinator and his special teams coach and puts him as the offensive coordinator, they might have a chance to go and roll a donut for the rest of the season in the win column. I don't know. I agree to disagree. Keep Bill Belichick. Make Bill Belichick great again. Give him the opportunity. <laughs> All right, Nat, what do you got next? Okay, so Jared Goff and the Rejuvenated Lions made light work of the Bucks this weekend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jared Goff threw for 353 yards and two touchdown passes in their 20-6 victory. Through eight seasons, Goff has put up stats comparable to Brady and Manning in their respective first eight seasons. Mm. Hawk, am I tripping or did the Lions win the Matt Stafford You know trade? what? I love this because you are not tripping. I actually think Jared Goff might be better than Matt Stafford. Now look, yes, they won the Super Bowl, but that team was so stacked, it was so ridiculous that any serviceable quarterback could have won the Super Bowl with what they had around them there. They they mortgaged their entire future 
and bought that Super Bowl. And Jared Goff had already gotten them to one Super Bowl. I think it is more impressive what Jared Goff is doing with the Detroit Lions, and yes, Campbell and all these things are a part of that, than what Matt Stafford did with the Rams. And we have a, a body of work when both of them were in opposite situations in the franchises to compare and contrast. The Lions are, might be the best team in the NFC. They're injury-proof. They have incredible balance. And Jared Goff has been doing exactly what he has to. And he's making the plays. He's in control. He's not just a system guy. He's not just being serviceable. The dude is balling. I think the Detroit Lions won that trade. You're wrong. The okay. Detroit Lions did not win that trade right. because they didn't win a Super Bowl. And to say <laughs> that the the Lions are not stacked right now, when you look at their personnel, they are stacked, by the way. They have great personnel all across both lines. They have great personnel on both sides of the football at skill positions. And they have great coaching. Like, they are a complete team. And I love Jared Goff. Don't get me wrong. But Sounds like it. Look what happened with Matt Stafford when he got hurt out uh in LA. Yeah, like, Baker Mayfield came in and won when he was out. When he was in there the year before, they won the Super Bowl. So don't give me this whole like Jared Goff is better than uh Matt Stafford, but I I agree. They're both really good quarterbacks. However, until they win a Super Bowl, you can't say that somebody won the trade. All right, whatever. Agree to disagree. We'll we'll see who's really right when we put this on social media. It will be me per usual. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, let's talk about some some head coaches. And also, we may defend a couple of takes that we may or may not actually really agree with. All right. So now that we are at least past the first quarter of the NFL season, um, teams are starting to rise. Teams are falling. Some are up and down. But one thing that is constant is we're starting to see who the better coaches are in the National Football League. And it changes year to year because every year is a new year. We talked about Bill Belichick. They've struggled. So what I want to do, Joe, is me and you, I want to draft the best coaches in the NFL. So we'll go back and forth. I will give you the first overall pick. And then we are going to put it on social media, as we always say we will, and we never do, and decide who won the draft. And when you draft, you have to give me the reason why you are drafting who you are drafting. Obviously, Fat Nat, as always, feel free to chime in. So with the first overall pick of the Tomahawk NFL Coaches Draft of 2023, Joe Thomas, you are on the clock. And I will select our former offensive coordinator from the magical 2014 season where we finished seven and nine. It's Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> He's the best coach in the game. He's the guy that has revolutionized offensive football. He's brought what his dad did in Denver and spread it throughout the NFL and added fun little wrinkles with fast motions and spread formations and jet motions and RPOs and zone reads. And he continues to have incredible success with a litany of mediocre quarterbacks. And there's nobody else in the NFL that could do what Kyle Shanahan has been doing in San Francisco, winning consistently with very average quarterback play. All right. I'm not going to argue whether that should be the first overall pick. Um, But you did take a shot at Brock Purdy. You think he's an average quarterback because he had one down game? Is that where you are? No, what I'm saying is that he has an amazing team around him, and he's got the best coach in the NFL right now, uh-huh. scripting plays for him, and he does exactly what the coach tells him to, which I gotta, makes him a run-of-the-mill quarterback. I got I to gotta play devil's advocate. Do you think the fact that Kyle Shanahan always has mediocre quarterbacks falls on him? Do you think that's purposely done so that he can make sure that he is always drafted first overall in the head coaching rankings, or do you think it's he's a bad quarterback evaluator? Uh, those are two different questions. I'm asking. And I will say that which one is uh, he tried to get a premium elite quarterback a few years ago. Uh-huh. Um, who's Who, the guy he drafted? I Trey forgot Lance. his name now. Trey Lance. He's Trey Lance. He's so irrelevant that he got traded for like a fourth round pick, and uh, nobody even has heard of him since then, and probably will never hear of him again. Whose fault so, is that? I'm asking. Who who does that fall on? Is that on well, Trey Lance? So one, yes, he is trying to have a premium quarterback, and two. Maybe he was a bad evaluator in that moment, mm-hmm. and maybe he has been a bad quarterback evaluator. However, like he did a pretty good job with Jimmy G, which was the best thing that was available for him at yep. the time. Uh, but more than anything, I think he realized that maybe a little bit of ego played into things, thinking that, hey, I can take this guy that's hardly played any college football at this small d- Division One AA or whatever they're calling it now type school, and I can turn him into this great quarterback because – I'm a great quarterback coach. I'm a, a incredible offensive mind. And I think that's one, one of the downfalls of success in the NFL is like you are surrounded with people when you win and you do well that are going to tell you how great you are and how uh, 
they think it's easy yeah. doing what you did. And that's why Bill Belichick had the ego about kicking Tom Brady the curb, thinking that, oh, yeah, we'll just bring in another guy that looks Go like Tom it. Brady and we'll get the same results. You know, I, I'm I'm not arguing that. Kyle's obviously an incredible coach. What is the state of the union for 49ers fans? Nat, I remember a couple of years ago they were talking about trying to fire him. I was at a 49ers game. And they were like, well, that's because we're very dramatic. Okay. No, I'm very happy. Kyle Shanahan's our coach. Obviously. I mean, he is the best coach. He is number one. So I'm glad Joe drafted him. Number one. All right. So you're biased, but I also agree that Kyle Shanahan is a great coach. All right. So my first round pick is Mike McDaniel. I Mm. think Mike McDaniel is revolutionizing NFL coaching more than any coach we've seen in the last 50 years. That is a hard statement, but it is the truth. He is on the sideline rocking kicks that the players wear. He's sarcastic in his interviews, and he couldn't get an interview because he is so quirky and weird, and he looks nothing like any other NFL head coach. And so someone finally gave him a chance. Now, a lot of things had to happen, right? Their former head coach had to be suing them. He had to get fired. There was, like, it was literally the worst situation possible. They had to find the 6% of African-American in his blood so that he could get even the opportunity. It was There was a lot of factors that got up to this point, but it is showing that, oh, everything doesn't need to look the same for it to be an NFL head coach. And the fact that he is doing it so different, and even he's had just a little bit of success, I think is going to pave the way for a lot of other coaches that may not follow the typical path or may not seem like the typical candidate that you saw before. So I'm going with Mike McDaniel with my first overall pick. You guys both agree. It was a great pick. All right, Joe, second round. I agree. Also another, hey, 49ers product. What can I say? We just pump them out. Okay. You can't just take credit (laughs) for everything. All right, Joe, who you got? Second round. I'm going with Big Red. Andy Reid, my favorite steak and shake buddy. I had a chance at the Combine in Indianapolis to be in line at the Steak and Shake looking for, you know, some late night snacks. And I was hanging out with uh, Peter Schrager from NFL Network. He was telling me this funny story like, Last time I was in here at the comment, it was crazy. Andy Reid walked in and walked out with two two shakes. And uh, as we're waiting in line and he's telling that story, who walks in and stands <laughs> in line behind us but Andy Reid? Imagine and how I many people fact- at Steak and Shake have that same story about Andy Reid. He's probably yeah, there probably, every yeah, probably single a lot night. Of people at I imagine there's a lot of late nights at the combine. And like the only way he- to stay awake when you're Big Red <laughs> is a few late night Frosties. Yep. Uh, yep. No, I love the guy. And the only reason he's not my number one guy is because he does have the most talented quarterback of all time. Now, granted, he drafted him and he evaluated him. So you got to give him some props for that. But uh, Andy Reid's been amazing when he was in Philly with Donovan McNabb. He's been amazing uh, out in Kansas City. He's constantly revolutionizing the West Coast offense. Mm-hmm. He runs a very, very different version of the West Coast than Kyle Shanahan. But Thanks. both of those guys, I think, are leading the way in offensive evolution in the modern NFL right now. Um, and the fact that he's just had that sustained success and he gets everybody to buy in. He gets everybody to play hard week to week, but he does it in like such a wonderful grandfatherly fashion that makes him so appealing and so fun to so many people in the NFL. All of his players are always talking glowingly about him. And I love the commercials that he has with Patrick Mahomes Dude, when uh, they nuggies. zoom in and get the B-roll of him sneaking his fingers across the table <laughs> to steal his French fries. I laugh. Every single time I see that commercial. I was literally going to say that before you said it. Just the That's fact that the he best. uses the word nuggies in that commercial. Nuggies. It makes me laugh every single oh, time. Man. He's he's great. It, it really is. All right. That's a good pick. I actually didn't have him on board because I must not have been paying oh attention. Oh, my God. He's, yeah. he, so, after Bill Belichick, he might go down when he's all said and done and retired. I think, as I think he'll be Bill Belichick. I think he'll be the best coach of all time when he retires. Mm. I think he will unseat Bill Belichick. You can make an argument now that he could unseat Bill Belichick because every coach has like that one generational player that put him over the top. And obviously Mm -hmm. Bill had Tom Brady and now Andy Reid has Patrick Mahomes. So if you look at the body of work without those two, because I think everyone would agree Mahomes will probably win at least two to three more Super Bowls, right? Which will put him in the five to six category, like basically on par with Tom Brady because he's that good. And if you look at the body of work after those two players without Tom Brady, without Patrick Mahomes, it's not even close in Andy Reid's favor. So that's a great pick, mainstay, which is going to make me reshift my board for my second-round pick. I got to go with Mike Tomlin because that just gives me stability always. The fact that the Steelers are tied for first in the AFC North with what they have offensively is pretty crazy. And even in Pittsburgh, he's another coach that sometimes are like, we got to fire him. He makes sugar out of shit routinely, and he has – 
for the last 20 years. He's never had a losing season, which is wild, especially as someone who was a player on a lot of teams that had those losing seasons, you and I both, Joe. Um, big Mike Tomlin fan. I'm going with him for my second-round pick. Right now you are looking good so far, but I feel like I'm going to get you in the back end because you went mm-hmm. with all the easy picks. So let's go into the Tomlin's third a, round. Tomlin's a great pick. My only negative right now is that his offensive coordinator is Matt Canada, yes. who is uh, not the of, strongest offensive coordinator. It no. seems like Tomlin may have been a little bit too loyal to him. Uh, yep. I know there's lots of Pittsburgh Steelers fans that listen to this podcast. And I don't know if you heard it, but this was, I think, last week. At the Pittsburgh Penguins game, they started a chant, fire Matt Canada at the <laughs> hockey game. They dislike this offensive coordinator in Whew. Pittsburgh so much. Um, but to Tomlin's credit, he just finds a way to win every single every year. And I think early on, it was fair as criticism, in my opinion, to say that, hey, you know, Tomlin took over this team that was really good. They had Dick LeBeau. They had this historic defense. They had mm-hmm. tons of talent. They had Ben Roethlisberger. But I think the best thing that ever happened to him, honestly, was when Antonio Brown left and everybody yeah. realized what a mess that dude was and how the fact that Tom Tomlin was able to hold that team together to get Roethlisberger, who's kind of a prickly personality in his own right, mm-hmm. to play really well and collaborate with Antonio Brown and to keep all that stuff in-house, to keep everybody headed in the right direction, says yep. a lot about his leadership skills. So certainly I, I love that selection. With my pick, which, uh, sorry, I didn't let anybody team me up here, yep, but I think I've got the fifth pick here. I'm going to go with another coach. This is your last AFC pick, North. by the way. This is your last pick of this uh, draft. I feel pretty good about this one. Okay. I'm going to go with another coach from the AFC North. And this one was a close one for me, but I'm going to go with John Harbaugh oh, because the sustained success that he's had in Baltimore is beyond uh, compare, in my opinion, especially when you consider the amount of turnover and turmoil they've had at a lot of the important positions, namely quarterback. And I think the fact that he went out on a limb and basically overhauled the offense, uh, brought in Lamar Jackson as the last pick in the first round and had incredible success uh, with Lamar, able to keep that going after winning a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco, who was a mediocre quarterback in the NFL, um, just speaks to the testament of his ability as a leader, get everybody to buy into the message. And as a guy that's very demanding and gets the most out of his players every single season. That's a good one. Uh, a little boring, to be honest. I was yeah, going to go with Sean McVay. I was going to go with Sean McVay because he's doing a good job right now with the Rams mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to I'm gonna go with D'Amico Ryans as my number mm-hmm. three because the fact that he turned the Texans around so quick um, is something that we should be talking about. And C.J. Stroud looks like a seasoned vet to the point where it feels like the Carolina Panthers and our buddy Josh McCown made the wrong choice. They picked the wrong quarterback. <laughs> because C.J. Stroud looks like he's been in the league for five years. Um, and any opportunity I can you know, pick – I think it's only two black head coaches. I think all of my coaches are black now, technically, with Mike McDaniel. Wait, who are the black? I was going to say McDaniels. <laughs> Mike is McDaniel, D'Amico Ryans, and Mike Tomlin. Uh, you racist. <laughs> Not surprised. Oh, one, man. One Mike McDaniel here. saves us, though, because there's, you know, <laughs> he's very down the middle. You're going to have to see Dean everybody every single time with him. All right. So, who is the worst head coach in the NFL? You get pick one, Joe. Get them fired oh, right now. Who should be fired today? Who do I get to fire? Yes. That's, that's a fun one. Um, this one is a little bit we got trickier 30, for me. We got about two uh, minutes for this one, Joe. All right, so. Bill Belichick, fire him right now. Since all right, I'm surprised he wasn't your first pick because you want to leave him on for five more years. <laughs> I'm going to make him my first pick as the first coach that needs to get fired. All right, I'm going to go with um, Mike McCarthy. That team is way too talented for what they're showing right now, and mm-hmm. I don't feel like they've gotten any better. They haven't shown any like, oh, man, this is – They've really figured it out. Thank God they've put they paid this guy all this money to come in. And I think McCarthy is a good coach. I just don't. You we see what other teams are doing with less talent on their roster, and that's that's the the litmus test you gotta you gotta judge him by. I would even put Sean Payton in that boat. He's been there six weeks, but it looks ugly. Yeah, Boy, last that's a one. Good one. Brian Dayball's your your guy, isn't he? Yeah, I like Dayball, and he did a great job last year. Uh, obviously, they're not playing very well this year, but I, I don't think Daniel Jones is it. He Sorry. why is why my only criticism of Brian Dayball is he loves making sure everyone knows whose fault it is when something bad happens. <laughs> he goes out of his way yep. on the sideline to let everybody yeah. know the quarterback messed this up, not me <laughs> in every situation. That's going to catch up to him. That would be my only criticism for Dayball because I think he did a great job and I think he's like trying to maintain that like sentiment too much to the fact that he is. Doing a lot of finger pointing, man. A lot of finger pointing. 
Yeah, I agree. It, it might catch up with him. That's exactly how he's always been. He is one of the most fiery, emotional coaches I've ever been around. And so that's just who he is. And I, I think I give him a little bit of a pass because uh -huh. that's who he is like all the time. Um, and I think when you have success, it's okay because then it kind of gets everybody on edge all the time, which is a little bit of the Belichick thing. I mean, he came from the Belichick tree. He coached for Nick Saban and, the, and those guys kind of do the same thing um, a, a little differently because they're not as fiery on the sideline, maybe Saban, but definitely not Belichick. But either way, like everybody kind of walks around pins and needles a little bit. And so a lot of times when people are uncomfortable, you get the best out of them. Yep. Uh, but when you don't have success, it, it does go the other way and it flips and it actually becomes the worst possible thing that you can do because that's how teams get torn apart and they splinter. All right, that does it for our Tomahawk head coach draft. We're going to be back with our last segment of the show where we would defend some takes and get to some of our extra points. All right, so for our last segment, we're going to do a segment we're calling Defend the Take, where Nat is going to tee each of us up on a take, and we have to do our damnedest to defend it, and then she chooses who does the best. And I will rebuttal whatever you're saying, Joe, like I usually do. All right, Nat, <laughs> what do we got? Okay, so this past weekend, there were some games that were decided by a kick, a field goal, and there were some questionable calls made that determine the outcome of some of these big games. Mm. So I'm going to give each of you a take and you're going to have to defend it. So I'll start with Joe. Your take is kickers should be eliminated from the game of football. Mm. I think this is exactly what we need in the game of football to make it more interesting right now. They've already pretty much eliminated special teams, especially the kickoff because they don't want that unsafe play in the game. So on kickoffs, they're worthless. So you don't need them anymore. And as far as they're, impact on the outcome of the game like right now we'd be talking about brock purdy is such a winner he's the next tom brady because you know what he didn't play a very good game but all of his stars were out and he still was able to march his team all the way down the field and put his kicker mr moody in position for the game-winning field goal which he made and don't we love brock purdy he's one of the best quarterbacks in the nfl but instead the conversation this morning is that brock purdy's not as good as we thought he was and when I tried to tell you, like I've been talking the whole time, that he was just an average quarterback, run of the mill, Hawk tried to tell me, you either have to decide that he's the best or the worst. Like, there's no average quarterbacks that we would allow in this conversation. And I'm just saying, he's a decent quarterback. But the conversation would be completely different had the kicker not just pushed that kick just a little bit to the right so they have far too big of an impact on the game of football get rid of them we don't need them they don't even look like football players oh they don't gosh. eat enough at the meal table they have no redeeming qualities whatsoever i'm done with kickers so what do you call the sport then joe what are you gonna what do you change the name to it's called football why do you think it's called football because you run around on your feet and tackle people that's exactly <laughs> why 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 else would you call it football that's ridiculous man it's you would take out all of the high pressure moments in a game without the field goal it is no, think about how much more important high pressure play. they would be if you had to convert a real football play in those moments. Did, did you see the Giants play at the end of the game where they were or the end of the half where they were just rushing to get a playoff? Do you know how anticlimactic you're going to make the sport by taking away kicking in a football game? They didn't even get a kickoff. That's the point. It was more interesting and it was because boring. they didn't line up for a field goal because they had to run a play and they couldn't get it lined up in time. That's why it was more interesting. All right. Agree to disagree. We got your take. All right, Nat. What is, what is my take that I have to defend? Okay. Your take is there should be no sky judges in the game of football. Yes. Joe has been on this heel, trying to die on this heel for a number of years. He thinks there should be another ref in the booth that ultimately is the big eye of God saying that this right, this call was wrong. This call was right. There's no pass interference. There was a holding here. This is why that is stupid because the entire sport is built off of human error. When I'm coaching my 11 year olds and they get beat for a touchdown and they get teary eyed and they say, oh, it's like, no, there would be no touchdowns if you didn't get beat with it for a touchdown. It's okay. Human error is a part of it. And the referees are also a part of that human error because if that's the case, you could call holding on every single play. Do you know how many more holding penalties a great tackle like Joe Thomas, a first ballot Hall of Famer, would have if there was a sky judge determining whether or not you grabbed the inside of a shoulder pad or a jersey or you held on a little longer than you should have? Of course you don't because that would be crazy. And even in those moments when a ref gets it wrong, which they will routinely do, and even in those moments where there's a pass interference that should have been called that wasn't, which there routinely is, that's what makes the sport 
entertaining. That is what we sign up for, the agony of defeat, the thrill of victory, and having somebody to blame it on. It keeps us coming back. Next, you're going to want to automate it and put robots out there. You're going to want to put lasers everywhere. And I promise you are going to take the soul out of the game of football if you add Sky Judges. It will be a slow trickle to the mundane, boring version of sport that none of us will subscribe to. Classic Andrew Hawkins when he's trying to defend his take and put me down in my takes. He's going to throw some crazy straw man argument out there like we're going to put <laughs> lasers and robots on the field. Like that's how I'm advocating for a sky judge. No, my only point is yeah, they they want to, to, that was 9.2 yards. For <laughs> I like down. that. So actually I'm for that. That sounds like it'd be really fun. No, all I'm saying is that in those moments when the football game is going so quickly that the human eye can't possibly catch up with how quickly everything is happening specifically in those judgment call moments, those pass interference, those holds down the field when the game is won or lost and the balance of everything that's happened before then, lives are being won and lost. Mm. Contracts are being extended or cut. (laughs) All I want to know is that the really close things, we'll leave it whatever happens on the field. But the stuff that's very obvious and egregious needs to be corrected before it becomes a big deal and before games are won or lost because of it. We saw it in the Browns game. Thanks, refs. On the last (laughs) drive for the Browns, they got two really, really questionable calls they were able to move down the field and convert with. Uh, And then in the end of the Sunday night game with the Giants, uh, Darren Waller was completely eviscerated and mugged in the back of the end zone on the last play, but he got no call. And all it would take was person to watch one quick replay and see that there was a clear and obvious pass interference in the back of the end zone, quickly call down to the official in his ear and say, hey, you should drop a flag. Boom, drop the flag. Nobody would even know it was there. Nobody even knew it was existing. And it's not putting robots in charge. It's just giving somebody an opportunity to look at a quick instant replay to make sure that if something is clear and obvious, they're going to get it right every time. But what raindrop is going to start the flood? Like, where, where do you stop it then? Someone's still going to be upset that a call was made or that it wasn't made, and it's still going to have human error attached to it. Yeah, but I think people are okay with human error when it's a small margin of decision, and that's actually good for the game. I totally agree. Like, it gives us something to talk about. It gives people at the bar something to complain about on a Monday or get excited about. Like, that's a great part of the game. There's no doubt about it. But when we have things that happen like they happen on Sunday Night Football where it was obviously pass interference in the Browns game, those are obviously not penalties in my opinion. And then when you think back throughout history, like in the New Orleans Saints game, uh, with the NFC championship a bunch of years ago when yeah. it was like the most egregious pass interference ever, but it didn't get called. And it, so it, it impacts the outcome way too much in those moments when the penalties are just so obvious, but all it would take was a very, very quick cursory watch of the instant replay to make sure that they get it right. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like we are removing the gut instinct from the game of football. And I get it. It's like we want analytics. We want decisions to be made off a chart. And then there is some moments in where that makes so much sense. But at the same time, I'm telling you that is what the soul of football is about. Right, wrong, or indifferent. It's what we've all signed up for. And I feel like the more and more we implement this, you are going to take it completely out of the game and you're going to take away that deep connectivity, that emotional tie that people have to it. You're going to take it away. Because it is the game it is today because of the emotion tied to it and not because of the precision of calls or yards or how play charts work. I'm telling you, it's a game. And if the more we do that, the less it feels like an actual game that we want to cheer on. Last topic for me, Joe. Extra point here. I don't know if you saw the scuffle. We got about two minutes here. The scuffle between the Browns and the 49ers pregame. Before the Browns upset the 49ers. I don't know if we talked about that. I don't know if you knew that, Nat, but the 49ers lost. Um, but before that game, there was a scuffle to which Trent Williams tackle for the uh, 49ers came in and just cleared that whole shit out real quick, which made me beg the question, who are the scariest players in the NFL that you would want no smoke with when they come in and they're ready and they're on one? I feel like Trent Williams would probably be number one. What other players for you are you like, yeah, when he comes around, I probably want to just hash this out like men. Like, let's just talk about it. Let's be adults here. I wouldn't want to see Miles Garrett, 6'4", 280, can dunk a basketball between his legs. He's the strongest, fastest guy in the football field every day. And I think he would be a a killer in like a UFC cage. 
Uh, but I actually have a little beef with Trent Williams and fighting. We were in the Pro Bowl together one time. He was a, a young whippersnapper. And at the Pro Bowl, you only get three tackles that are out there. So if one goes down, then the other two guys got to play the whole game. And if in case you haven't tuned into Pro Bowls, you don't want to play in Pro Bowls. You want to be elected. <laughs> you want to go to Pro Bowls, but you don't want to play. And Trent got in a huge bar fight when we were out in Hawaii. And actually, <laughs> I think he was like actively killing some Polynesian bouncers. Uh, at a bar in Hawaii. And so one of them grabbed a huge like gray goose bottle and smashed it over his head. Oof. So he had a huge gash. And so he couldn't play in the game. And so because of that, I had to play the whole game. So I still have a little bit of beef with Trent Williams fighting, but certainly I don't want to mess with him. You're not going to approach it though. You're not going to ever tell him, obviously. Uh, I'm never going to say this to him in this face <laughs> because he is absolutely a monster. And it was funny. I had a buddy who works for the Browns asked me, he's like, before the game, I, you know, I'm excited to watch Miles and him. Uh, lock up in the game. Do you think he's a Hall of Famer? I'm like, are you kidding me? First ballot. Like, they're not even going to talk about this guy. He's one of the greatest offensive linemen of all time. And uh, he would certainly be one of the greatest cage fighters of all time as well. First ballot Hall of Famer in my book. Aaron, that's a good one. I would say um, Aaron Donald is a scary mm -hmm. one. I think he's one you don't want any smoke with. Trent Williams is obviously high on that list. I like Miles Garrett as a freak, but Miles Garrett is a nice dude, ultimately. I don't, I don't think he has. I mean, he has a mean streak. I mean, he bashed Mason Rudolph with his own helmet once. So it's not always nice. Very good. Maybe he's done a really good job of cleaning his image up that I think about him that way. He's mostly nice. Because we all did see him bash a dude's face in with the helmet. What about retired guys? There's some retired guys who were. Steve Smith got into it with Jerry Judy. And I was just hoping for Jerry Judy's sake that Steve Smith was as evolved of a human as he showed, which he is. Because I don't think Jerry Judy understands what Steve Smith is about in his heyday. Um, he's another one that I wouldn't want smoke with if it all went down. Because I, I'm, I'm not scared of size. I'm not scared of guys big and straight. I'm scared of mentality. And there are people who don't care to die. And those are the ones that I'm mostly scared of. And Steve Smith is absolutely one of those dudes. Yeah, after doing Thursday Night Football with Steve Smith for a bunch of years, I've seen the good Steve and the bad Steve. And when he gets hot, he goes black and he's ready to kill people. <laughs> I actually think he knocked out his teammate and broke his jaw when he was uh, in Carolina, yeah. maybe. Um, and I've seen it like where he was getting ready to square up on fans before we were in Philly doing pregame and somebody threw a beer on him and he turned around and it turned into F bomb fest. And he was about to go <laughs> in a crowd in Philadelphia, which is not the most friendly He's crowd of all time again and try to murder people. And it was funny because Michael Irvin, uh, of course, Eagles fans hate him because of the Dallas Philly rivalry. Uh -huh. And Michael was sitting right next to me as somebody throws a beer and he saw Steve stand up, turn around. And it was like. Michael realized that at any moment, if a fight breaks out, like there's not going to be enough security to protect everybody. And he knew that those dudes are going to be going for him. <laughs> so he scurried out of there like a cockroach when the light turns on because he was so worried that he was going to get caught up in the fracas and the old Philadelphia Eagles fans are going to be able to take it out on him. Uh, that, that was pretty interesting seeing the difference of Steve Smith wanted to kill everybody. Michael Irvin was running for the hills. He run for the hills. Steve Smith, a.k.a. If you want a problem, I want the same thing. All right, that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show. As always, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Shout out to the Metal Lark Media and the DraftKings Network. Shout out to my guy, Joe Thomas and Fat Nat, as always, here on the Tomahawk Show. Without further ado, Mr. Joe Thomas, take us out. Joe Hawk yourself. <laughs>